are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Here we are back again for episode seven of our practical financial planning season. And today we're talking about decumulation. So Simon, just to set the record straight, is decumulation actually a word? And if so, what does it mean? Decumulation is totally a word. Uh, and it has two broad meanings. Uh, in chemistry, uh, decumulation is any exothermic molecular change that converts accumulated diene into a conjugated diene. Firstly, you just 100% googled that and read it verbatim. And secondly, I don't think that's the kind of decumulation we're talking about today. Oh, you got me. Uh, and, and I did that and I know it's not that kind. In respect of our season on practical financial planning, decumulation is simply the opposite of accumulation. Accumulation means building our wealth, accumulating money and savings, investments and pensions. Therefore, decumulation means spending our wealth, using our money, our savings, investments and pensions. To be perfectly honest with you, Simon, I don't have a problem when it comes to spending money. In fact, I find the accumulation bit a lot more difficult. So why are we having a whole episode on spending money? Surely everyone knows how to do that. You're right, Bex. People do know how to spend money. There are far more natural spenders in the world than there are natural savers. But decumulation, and in particular today's topic of decumulation strategy, is about far more than just spending money. It's about working out what money to spend in what order to spend it, and why. Surely money is money. So why do we need to know how to go about spending it in a certain order or at a certain time? The answer, as is often the case in financial planning, is mostly to do with tax. Do you remember a couple of episodes ago I spoke about platforms and providers? Yes, we had the analogy of having lots of buckets of money on a shelf. And what was the point of all those different buckets of money on a shelf? Each bucket represented a different pot of money, perhaps a bank account, an ISA, a pension, or some of the other ones you mentioned as well. Spot on. Now, the reason we have different buckets is also all about tax. Each bucket, each product that it represents, each tax wrapper, has a different set of tax rules surrounding it. Now, we spoke earlier in this season about the tax treatment of pensions and ISAs and general investment accounts and, to a lesser degree, investment bonds. I even introduced the concept of taxed and exempt savings. Yes, I remember that clearly. Pensions are good because the money you put in is exempt from tax, it grows exempt from tax, but it's mostly taxable on the way out. ISAs, on the other hand, are paid with tax money, then also grow exempt from tax, and then are exempt from tax on the way out. 10 out of 10 for ISA and pension taxation. Bex, well done. When it comes to financial planning, we have to consider all those three stages of taxation. Tax on money going into an investment or a pension. Tax on the growth whilst it's in there. And then tax on the money when you take it out because you want it out to go and spend it one day. Now, all other things being equal, 
So if a pension and an ISA experience the same amount of growth and the same charges and they have the same money put into it for the same amount of time, then the tax treatment can make a massive difference to the outcome. And today, I'm going to explain what you need to know to get the best outcome with the money that you've saved up. That sounds good to me. In our parallel season on life stages, we've just covered retirement and we touched on decumulation strategy there. Is decumulation linked in with retirement then? Primarily, yes it is. Retirement is typically the life stage in which we spend more than we make. And so our net worth goes down, it decumulates. That's if we ignore, for example, house prices going up in value. But some people do decumulate before retirement. However, for today's purposes, I'm going to make a couple of assumptions. Now, even if these assumptions don't fully apply to all of our listeners, each of them should be able to apply various principles from today to their own circumstances. So assumption number one, I'm going to assume for today's purposes that we are retired, by which I mean we're no longer in paid employment. Number two, I'm going to assume that we have a variety of sources to draw uh, an income from, shall we call it, and we'll touch on state pensions, defined benefit pensions, defined contribution pensions, ISAs, and general investment accounts. Number three, I'm not going to include investment bonds in today's list. They come with a little bit too much complexity for today's conversation. They're much more rarely used. Likewise, for any of our other less common investments, to be honest, not for today's conversation. A note for some listeners, however, if you hold shares and you hold them directly, not through a general investment account, then the tax treatment is broadly the same as if they were in a general investment account. Okay, now that we've established our framework, let's take our imaginary investor and their pensions and investments and assume they are retired. What do we need to know first? Firstly, everybody in the UK has a personal allowance. Now in the tax year, 22-23, when we're recording this episode, the personal allowance is currently £12,570. That's how much taxable income somebody can earn, but not pay any tax on it. Now I say taxable income, Because some income is not taxable and some withdrawals you take from your portfolio do not count as income. So you need to know what is and what isn't taxable income. Now, of our various sources of income in retirement, uh, the state pension. Well, it is definitely taxable and it's definitely a kind of income. So it ticks the boxes. Regular income taken from a defined benefit pension, similarly, is both taxable and is income. But a pension commencement lump sum is not income. It's also tax-free. And that's why it's sometimes called tax-free cash or tax-free lump sum. So we don't have to think about that when it comes to the personal allowance. For defined contribution pensions, up to 25% of the value of the pension, and therefore up to 25% of the withdrawals that you make, are tax-free. If you take this money monthly, it will look a bit like an income, but it's still not taxed. The remaining 75% of that pension is deemed taxable 
whether you take it as a, an income on a regular basis or as a lump sum, all in one go or in ad hoc chunks. It still counts as income. Withdrawals from an ISA are never taxable. Withdrawals from a general investment account are taxable, but they're not income. Is that all clear? Crystal clear. And at the same time, I think we're going to have to take those one by one or my head might just explode. Which one should we consider first? The state pension comes first. And it does so not because it's the first one you get, but because it's the first one that is taxed. Not everybody realises that the state pension is taxable because actually almost nobody ever gets taxed on it. You see, a full state pension, at least as of this year, is £185.15 per week. Now that means if you get a whole year's worth, 52 weeks, that's £9,627.80p. Well, that's less than the £12,570 of personal allowance. So unless you have managed to accrue a much bigger state pension, which is technically possible, or unless you have a much lower than normal personal allowance, for example, you might owe the taxman some money and he's claiming it back through your personal allowance, then your state pension will always fall within the personal allowance and will not be taxed, even though it is taxable. What it will do, however, is it will use up some of that personal allowance and it pushes more of your other income into the position of paying tax. Okay, so if I remember rightly, the state pension doesn't start until age 66 and that starting age is getting later over time. But some people retire before then and start drawing other pensions. So how does that work? If you retire before your state pension starts then you will have a few years where you can choose how to use your personal allowance. Now, if you don't use it, you will lose it. For example, if somebody retired exactly one year before their state pension started, and if it happened to be on the very first day of the tax year, which I admit is highly unlikely, but let's say they have this portfolio with £20,000 in an ISA and £20,000 in a personal pension, and they wanted to access one of them this year, and one of them next year. Here is how they're going to use the personal allowance and how it's going to make a very big difference to their outcome depending on which one they take first. So if they took the pension this year when they have got this full personal allowance, well, firstly, they're allowed to access 25% of their pension as tax-free cash. 25% of £20,000 is £5,000. It's tax-free, so it doesn't count towards the personal allowance. But the remaining £15,000 in their pension is taxed as income. Well, £12,570 of that is inside their personal allowance and is tax-free. The remaining, it happens to be £2,430, is going to be taxed as income. Now, I'll be a smidge lazy here and I will not apply Scottish rates of income tax because you pay 19%, then 20, then 21. No, we're going to go for basics. If you're in the rest of the UK, you'll pay 20% tax. So for the sake of numbers, 20% of 2,430 happens to be 486 pounds. Did you use a calculator for that one? Always worth checking with a calculator, Bex. Yes, even financial planners get it wrong sometimes. All of my preconceptions about financial planners have just been shattered. 
So £486 tax this year. What about next year? Okay, so next year the money comes out of the ISA. And ISA is always tax-free, so there's no tax to pay. And so add those two years together and the total amount of tax payable over two years is the £486. And what happens if they spend the ISA first and then the pension? Okay, so this time there's no tax to pay in the first year as it's all coming from the ISA. But in the second year, and remember they were one year away from state pension age, so in that second year they're now getting a full state pension, which is £9,627.80p. However, as a side note, if the state pension actually does increase by the 10.1% the government has indicated, then next year it's going to be about £10,600. Now that will therefore use up more of the personal allowance and we'll leave our imaginary investor with just £1,970 to offset against their £20,000 of pension withdrawal. Again, however, the 25% tax-free cash, £5,000, can be taken. Simon, can I just briefly interrupt you there? You mentioned 25% tax-free cash again. Does the tax-free cash have to be taken all in one go? Uh, No, it doesn't. Good point. Um, But I'll pick it up in a couple of sentences' time, if that's okay. That's perfect. I just didn't want to forget about it. Agreed. Let's nip back to our example in the meantime. So £5,000 is taken as tax-free cash from the pension, leaving £15,000 to be taken as taxable income. Just £1,970 of that falls into the remaining personal allowance, now that the state pension has used most of it up. So this leaves £13,030 to be taxed. And again, I'll go with the 20% and ignore the Scottish 21% tax rate. So that's a tax bill now of £2,606. So the tax has gone up from our first example, 486, to £2,606 just by swapping over the order of taking ISA and pension. And for the geeks amongst us out there, that's a 436% increase in tax. Oh my goodness. A 436% increase in tax just by taking them in a different order. That is wild. I admit the example is extreme, but it shows you just how much the order can make a difference. Now, for anyone who has more than one source to access money in retirement, understanding the taxation can make a huge difference to the right order in which to take them. Before we expand on that further, Bex, remind me of your question about tax-free cash. Oh, yes. So we were taking 25% tax-free cash from the pension. Do you have to take the tax-free cash out all in one go? And bonus sub-question, do all pensions give 25% tax-free cash? No and no. Any more questions? Uh, Yep, you're actually going to have to answer those questions and give a bit of detail. Okay. In a defined contribution pension, that's the one with a pot of money, a personal pension, a money purchase pension, they're all the same. You can take up to 25% of the value of the pension over the life of the pension. I'm going to ignore, for today, the lifetime allowance, as that overcomplicates things a bit. And it only applies to those people with pension pots of over £1,073,100. And if you are one of those people, 
you should definitely be seeking financial advice. Another example, therefore, uh, this time we'll have a pension pot of £100,000. Option number one. You could take all the tax-free cash in one go. 25% equals £25,000. You leave the remaining £75,000 behind in the pension, either to access in the future as some kind of pension drawdown, or to use that pot of money to buy yourself an annuity, an income for life. Option two, you could draw down, it's the technical term, you draw down, say, £40,000 of that pension. 25% as tax-free cash, that's £10,000, and then £30,000, the remaining bit, as income. That £30,000 then gets added to your other income for the year and taxed accordingly. Option three, you could set up a monthly withdrawal, say £1,000 a month. 25% tax-free, 75% taxable. That's £250 per month tax-free, £750 per month taxable. Uh, we note here, when you take income from a pension, the pension provider will take from you before you get that money and pay to HMRC any tax that you are due. They do it for you. You haven't got to manage that bit yourself. But it makes a lot of sense to have an idea of how much tax they're going to take from you so that you know how much income to draw down to end up with what you need after tax. Final option number four, some pension providers will actually let you set up monthly withdrawals just of the tax-free cash bit. So you could, for example, take out £500 per month of tax-free cash and no income, and you can keep doing that until you have used up all of the tax-free cash. I think I understand all those options. And to be honest, there are more options than I thought. I can see how it could get quite complex to know what to do. What happens though, if your pension fund grows while you're taking the money out of it year after year, how do you know how much tax-free cash you've used up? Crystallization is the answer. Crystallization. And what is crystallization? Time for another example, I think. Okay, your pension is worth, again, £100,000, and you quite fancy going on a world cruise. It's going to cost you £10,000, and you don't want to pay any tax, so you're going to take it out as tax-free cash. To get your hands on £10,000 of tax-free cash, you have to crystallise £40,000. That's the word we use, crystallise. Because it's 25% of the amount that you crystallise that is tax-free cash. 25% of £40,000 is £10,000 to pay for your cruise. So you take out that £10,000 and you leave behind, for future use, £30,000 of now crystallised pension. And you'll take it out at some point in the future. What you're left with then, in our example, is £30,000 crystallised, the tax-free cash has been taken, and £60,000 uncrystallized. We haven't taken tax-free cash from that bit yet. I think I'm with you so far. What happens when the pension grows? Let's assume then we have a few great years of growth. We're certainly due some of those, I think. And the pension goes up by 100% over an indefined period of time. You now have £60,000 crystallized because it was £30,000 before and it's since doubled. And you have £120,000 uncrystallized. You've doubled the £60,000 we had never yet touched. 
once again, the waves are calling you and you want to go on another cruise and it's still going to cost you £10,000 and you're still going to pay it out of tax-free cash. Well, you can't get any more tax-free cash from the crystallized pot. You've already had that bit of tax-free cash already. So you have to go to the £120,000 that is uncrystallized and you will once again choose to crystallize £40,000. £10,000? 25% tax-free cash, comes out and pays for your cruise, and £30,000 moves into the crystallized fund we had previously. And if you can do all the maths and follow that in your head, you're doing very, very well. You end up with £90,000 crystallized. We had 60, we just added 30. And £80,000 uncrystallized, we had 120, and we took out 40. And you can basically keep doing this until all the tax-free cash has been taken, all the money has moved into the crystallized pot. If you then want to take any more money from the pension, you will have to access the taxable income from the crystallized fund, and then you might have some tax to pay. Great. I get it, I think. Where do we go next? You asked if all pensions have 25% tax-free cash. They don't. So a defined benefit pension can provide tax-free cash, but the calculation is very different. And to be honest, it's a bit too complicated to explain in detail here. Now, it's typically tax-free cash of about three times as much as your pension income. And you'll have one of two kinds of pension. One that either says, when you retire, you will get a £10,000 a year pension income, for example, plus a £30,000 lump sum. Or... Your pension might say uh, you can have £12,500 a year when you retire and you can exchange, the actual word is you could commute up to £2,500 of your income in exchange for a lump sum of, say, £30,000. Now, the maths varies as to how much lump sum you get for how much income you give up. And this time, can the tax-free cash come out a bit at a time? No. So when you access a defined benefit pension, final salary pension or career average pension, you have to decide all at once when you're going to start that pension and how much income or tax-free cash you want. You then get all the tax-free cash in one go and your income starts. So surely getting all the tax-free cash in one go is a good thing. Why would we want to take tax-free cash a bit at a time like you explained earlier? Again, entirely for tax reasons. If you have a big pension and take, say, £100,000 tax-free cash all in one go, well, what are you going to do with it? Now, if you need that money to pay off debt or your mortgage or to buy a new car or go on holiday, fine, use it for that purpose. But if you don't need all that money in one go, then the best place to leave it is actually in a pension where it is bonus growing tax-free, an even bigger bonus, it's also exempt from inheritance tax, and as an extra, extra bonus, it can be passed on to your beneficiaries in a very tax-efficient way when you die. It's a win-win-win situation, leaving it in the pension. That is a lot of bonuses all in one go. You've convinced me that we don't need to take all the tax-free cash if we don't need to. Okay, what else? We have just about managed to cover pensions. We've still got ISAs and general investment accounts to go, but honestly, they're far easier. Uh, number one, if you've got GIA, German Investment Account Holdings, uh, with shares or gilts or bonds, perhaps in a fund, then you need to be aware of and manage the tax. This year, you can access up to 
£12,300 of the growth on your GIA, totally tax-free. That's called the Capital Gains Tax Annual Exemption. But the government has recently announced in the autumn statement that the annual exemption is reducing from next tax year to £6,000 per person and then down further to just £3,000 per person from April 2024 onwards. Uh, Number two, if you put £20,000 into that general investment account and it grows to £40,000 over time, that's a gain of £20,000. If you sell your investment, you're triggering the £20,000 gain. This year, the first £12,300 would be exempt from tax, and then you would pay 10% basic rate tax or 20% higher rate tax. These are capital gains tax rates on the rest. However, if you cashed in just half of the GIA this year, that's £20,000 of value, which comes with £10,000 of gain. Therefore, all the gain falls into this year's exemption. So no tax to pay. Now, next year, you can then sell down as much of the GIA as will trigger £6,000 of gain without paying any tax and then £3,000 of gain the year after to avoid this tax. Quick note, a couple will you each have an annual exemption. So if you have a joint general investment account, you can use that to realise twice as many gains, half for each person. One GIA each, one in his name, one in her name, for example, has the same result. Finally, it is possible to transfer GIA investments between spouses without triggering any capital gains. So if you have lots of gains, but your spouse has none, you can effectively give them some of your investments and they sell them and use up their annual exemption. And tell me about ISAs before we run out of time. No tax to pay ever. So use these when you've maximised all the other tax-free and tax-efficient amounts that you can. Excellent. Could you maybe give us a quick summary to wrap up this episode? Okay, you might need to get proper financial advice to work out the absolute best way to decumulate, but in short. Number one, if you've got a GIA or directly held shares, sell these to realise gains up to the annual exemption. And this gets more important in future years as the exemption gets smaller. Two, access defined contribution pension funds up to your remaining personal allowance, taking the associated tax-free cash with you when you do. Quick note, whilst you can take tax-free cash without taking the associated income, you cannot take income without also taking the associated tax-free cash. Well, you can, you just lose its tax-free status. Never do that. Number three, then turn to your ISAs to get tax-free withdrawals. Number four, if you're still short of money, then consider going back to your general investment accounts and taking some gains that will be taxable, but at 10% basic or 20% higher rate tax. And then finally, five, then consider accessing pension money at income tax rates of 20 or 40%, or if you're in Scotland, 19%, 20%, 21%, and then 41%, and on it goes. Any final words for us today? The general advice, Bex, is this. Pensions are the first place to put your money and the last place to take it from. If your affairs are sufficiently complex that you have pensions and ISAs and general investment accounts and maybe you're pushing into higher rates of income tax, then you might get some value from a financial planner.
A last comment, I've hardly spoken about when to access defined benefit pensions and whether to defer your state pension. I've not covered the pension lifetime allowance or how to minimize inheritance tax. These are all bigger issues, but I will touch on the inheritance tax in our next episode. And relax. We know that you love pensions, Simon, and the more that you talk about them and explain them, actually, the more I can see why they add so much value to so many people. So thank you so much for sharing that knowledge and wisdom with us today. As Simon mentioned in the final episode of our practical financial planning season, we'll be looking at inheritance tax, but in the wider context of estate planning. We hope you'll join us then for another episode. The last one in our current season of where your treasure is. Goodbye for now. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.